Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. We are. Bleachers are open. It has been a very interesting week for the Bleachers. And to be brutally honest, Tuttle and I are just smiling with glee because we are right about everything. (laughs) Most notably, PGA golf majors so far this season. Last episode, we appreciate everybody who tuned in and got a lot of golf. I know it may not be your your kill zone or your, your sweet spot. But for Tuttle and I, we enjoy golf. We have a very good asset in John Adams, who was on there. And we talked a lot about golf. And guess who cracked the code? These guys. Well, oh, more golf. you than me, but for sure, you, for sure, we had the we had the code this week. <laughs> well, I would say you made the DJ call. I went with my cow guy, Colin Marikawa, and guess what? Colin went out there and whooped up on him with, and it basically happened in the last three holes of the tournament, which was phenomenal. But uh, nothing excited me more than calling that Astro game. And on the, you know, that extra tab on my computer, I actually pulled up the PGA tournament. And every time I clicked over to it in between innings, somebody else would be at 10 under. And all of a sudden, you had seven or eight guys at 10 under. The competition was great. And Colin Marikawa stood up on the 16th tee, grabbed his driver, and crushed one all the way to the green on a par four, maybe about 15 feet short, and then drains an eagle putt to take that two-shot lead that he carried all the way to the championship. It was phenomenal. It was fun to watch. It was fun to talk about it and watch things unfold that we talked about on the last podcast. But Tuttle, man, we're going to have to change it. I know I can't get on betting websites here in Texas for whatever reason, but I may have to find a guy out there on the West Coast who can play some bids for me because we may have to change it from don't bet on it to bet on it. Hey, I, I, I would agree with you. And I also <laughs> think that, um, I, I don't know if you tweeted this out or somebody else, but somebody said, you know, the PGA has won the COVID thing from an athletic standpoint. Uh, I think yeah. so. I mean, the PGA is the most like watchable sport right now, like hands, hands down. down. I, and I do like baseball. Don't get me wrong. You know, I know you're on TV every night with the baseball thing, but no, it's the truth, man. We got to face facts. Yeah, you can hear the. I love hearing the guys talk. I like hearing the umpire. I like some of the banter. It's great. But man, golf just seems very similar, and maybe that's what we're looking for, right? Something that's more normal than, um, you know, than than out, you know, than out in the uh, on the fringes, which is what we're seeing with no fans and fake crowd noise and all that. The golf has been fantastic, and I know from the golf perspective, like Colin Morikawa he earned that thing. And that's what you want. You want when, Great when point. it comes down to like time to make a decision, what are you going to do? This might be your one shot, your one shot to grab glory. And what would you do if you're in your backyard or you're playing with your buddies, you grab the driver go and you go it. for it. And the fact that he did that and it put him two strokes ahead, he earned every, every cent of that $2 million that he won. And, um, you know, we talked about some advantages maybe in his, uh, home course kind of right the bay area and all that but man that the was lack a lack of fans for a young guy playing in a major too i think kind of kind of dialed into that too yeah absolutely so anyway we were talking off air but uh we're yeah maybe we got to get on some betting websites but golf has won the uh kind of covid sports for me and i think it would be fun to i mean i don't know if it's uh those daily betting websites or anything like that, but it's kind of fun to pool some guys and see, you know, it's almost like betting on horse racing, right? I'll Mm -hmm. take this guy to win, this guy to place, this guy to show, and then you bundle them or box them. And Mm -hmm. uh, you take your trifecta box or your, or your, um, 
you know, your, your, uh, your different orders and see if you can't uh, win some money. And uh, I think, you know, like I said, we, we were all around it. And of course we use a lot of John's information, but, uh, but thanks John. And uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have him on again as a good luck charm to see if we can pick the next golf tournament. Yeah. It, it may have been a little bit uh, of gut instincts with us. And then the knowledge that John brought that kind of married those two together. We went with the analytics and the gut and it, and it paid off pretty good. It was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but that's going to bring us to what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. I know that we have a couple of topics that uh, may, we may want to talk about uh, the NCAA football seasons. A couple of big power five conferences have gone in and said they're going to cancel. We'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, the Cleveland Indians uh, had a couple guys go on the restricted list. So I give a lot of credit to the Cleveland Indians for actually taking action on two players that broke the bubble and they're suffering the consequences right now. But most of all, probably the team is suffering more. We'll talk a little bit about that. There was big news between the A's and Astros. Some suspensions came down yesterday, which was Tuesday of this week, the 11th, I believe. And we'll talk a little bit about that. We've got what'll Tuttle say. We've got Blum's Blast, maybe, if I can think of something in between now and, and then. But this is going to be a great episode because Tuttle has connections out there in the West Coast. And there's actually a man, Roland Colton, that we will be interviewing here shortly, who has written a book called Baseball Immortal. Immortals or Immortal? Immortal. Immortal. So it does a very good job of talking about baseball past and maybe transitioning that past into the current situation or future and, you know, kind of melding generations as far as ballplayers are concerned. And I learned a little bit of something in this interview. It was a lot of fun to talk to him and I've been listening to his books, but give us a little bit of an idea about Roland and then maybe just kind of bring us into the interview with him. Yeah, no. So Roland is a, a buddy of mine who I play basketball with on the weekends. Um, he's an attorney. He's an, you know, a pianist. He's a world traveler. He's a former baseball player um, at University of Utah, just a really kind of a renaissance guy. And I think when you hear the interview and you get into the book, um, hopefully everybody go to MLB.com and download the book or at least listen to the book. I think it's fully available at the end of this month. Um, in, you know, in hardcover and, you know, audible and all those kind of formats. But uh, I think you'll see that he is uh, super passionate about not just baseball, but also writing and telling a story and uh, an all around great guy. And so uh, without further ado, let's bring Roland in. All right, everybody. So our special guest on the podcast today is a friend of mine uh, with full disclosure. We've been friends about 20 years, um, but he is a author, an attorney, a great athlete in his own right. And we brought him on today to talk about his new book called Baseball Immortal. Um, his name is Roland Colton. And Roland, how you doing? I couldn't be better. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Yeah, of course. So Roland, um, why don't we start by, I think your website says you're an author, an attorney, a former pitcher, a pianist, and a world traveler. I mean, there's a lot... <laughs> There's a lot to unpack Renaissance there. man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A Renaissance man. I know probably the least, um, I don't know. I, can, I don't want to speak for you, but probably the least uh, happy about, um, I don't know, the least thing that I would describe you with is that you're an attorney. So we put that way on the back burner. Yeah, I think we, you, we don't need to discuss that today. <laughs> I, I think you like everything else better, but uh, the Bleacher Blums podcast is fairly baseball heavy and you've written a new book called Baseball Immortal. And why don't you tell us, a little bit about your background, some of the things that you've done in your athletic career, and then how you became an author and, and how we got to this point. 
I sure will. Well, you know, I grew up in uh, Salt Lake City, and in my neighborhood, baseball was the only sport. I remember uh, playing it uh, from age four on and, uh, you know, went through all the leagues, uh, had a great high school career, was a pitcher, and had an opportunity to get a scholarship to the uh, University of Utah, where I pitched for my freshman year, and then I went away for two years on a mission. So um, my... Uh, uh, the University of Utah wasn't too keen about uh, taking me back after the two-year hiatus. Now they, I think it's a lot more common for them to accept that. Um, and I really didn't play baseball again until uh, I was 39 when I played in a semi-pro California league called Adaba. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that one or not, but uh, had a lot of former college and even professional players, only a handful that ever played the major leagues but uh, pitched uh, actually a couple hundred innings at uh, age 39 and 40 and had a, rena a kind of a re re resurrection of my career, if you will. So uh, I, I've also had some other things I've done that are kind of interesting. Um, in uh, 1986, I was the architect for what became the most successful baseball arcade game ever called World Series. And um, it was a game that uh, five, six years later was still showing up in arcades. Now that's of course, long gone since then, but um, I, I uh, have been an avid and ardent baseball fan all my life. I like other sports too, but it's, it's keen by far. And uh, this is a book that uh, just came out of uh, a love affair with a game. Uh, my second book, the other one has nothing to do with baseball, but uh, this particular one, it's a, a trilogy. And the first book has been um, uh, featured and offered on the Major League Baseball website. So We've had about 30,000 people thus far who have accessed the book, read some or all of the episodes to date, and the full book, first book of the trilogy, will be fully delivered by mid-August. That's awesome, Roland, and it, it's a lot of work, and you've done a very good job on your website, and for those of you who are curious about it, like you said, you can go to the Major League Baseball website. You can also go to Roland's website. What's the website again? Because you can listen to it. I've been clicking all over the links and chapters listening to this thing. Uh, tell us what the website is. The website's my name, Roland Colton, R-O-L-A-N-D. Colton is C-O-L-T-O-N.com. Yeah, yes, it's very good. Yeah, it's great that you have it written on there and you also have it in that audible uh, format so that I can listen to it while I'm doing laundry or trying to ignore, ignore my kids and things like that. So greatly appreciate it. But what I want to ask is you talked about playing baseball when you were a young kid uh, at four years old, and I think all of us are in the same boat in that sense. But what I want to know is, what really created that loving feeling towards the game of baseball? And, and it obviously nurtured it, but where did it begin for you? It began when my older brother, who's five years older, explained to me the game. And nice. I still remember this epiphany I had. It just seemed such a marvelous thing. I just, from that point on, we, we didn't have any other leagues except for Little League. So you didn't get to play organized ball until you're about 11 years old. But we played in the backyard for, you know, every, every day of the summer. And uh, I just fell in love with every aspect of it. The, uh, uh, the symmetry, uh, the fact that it employs all talent, speed, uh, you know, uh, uh, reflexes, you name it. Just a fantastic game. You know, Roland, that, that's awesome because as Blummer touched on, I mean, I feel the same way. Like something kind of bites you when you're young about baseball because if you talk to people in the modern day, uh, it's typically like, oh, well, baseball is boring. You know, I like a 12 to 11 game. Um, Blummer and I had an argument last week about the extra innings that they're the extra inning um, – uh, 
the the style that they've I'm I'm like at a loss for words today but the extra inning uh rules that they put in place this year for the uh, 60 game season I don't know if you've seen that where you start with a guy on second base and nobody on and yeah yeah right so boo right I like it from a fan's (laughs) perspective because I think it'll speed up the game the Astros happen to have been in a major league high five extra inning games already and they've just like drawn on and drawn on so um, as a kind of a, a purist, I'd like to call all of us on the podcast more of a purist. Give us um, maybe a little highlight of the book, like kind of the theme of the book, but then also if you could extrapolate like Ty Cobb into modern game, like do, are there some players that you think um, have that similar kind of mentality or that similar feature? And then maybe give us a little perspective on what your thoughts are, the kind of the old time game versus the new game that we see on television today or, you know, that we're kind of trudging through here in COVID? Well, first of all, I'll have to, uh, I think, concur with Jeff. I'm not a big fan of the uh, change of the extra inning rule. I do understand that uh, the games will be shortened, but it just, it's not, it's not the way baseball was meant to be. And, and extra innings to me should be the most exciting time in a, ba- a ball game. I mean, it's tension every second. And to put a man on second base for no reason, how did that come up with? But I understand the rationale. Love it. Uh, no, I love it. That's great. Yep. You just popped my balloon, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I'm glad Roland's on right now. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Roland. Getting back to the book, I yeah. always wanted to know how old-time baseball fans, or players, I'm sorry, would perform in today's game. And I grew up and became addicted to some of these all-time great stars like Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Hannes Wagner, Walter Johnson, read all these books and just wished I could have seen them play. I mean, even today, I'd give almost half my wealth, which isn't much, to see one game in 1911. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the, the basic, basically, the book asks the question, how would a uh, star from the past perform in today's game? And it's probably baseball is really about the only sport where you can make that uh, comparison, I think, because with basketball, the players are, you know, on an average six inches taller than they were at the outset of basketball. Football players weigh 100 more pounds than they used to. I mean, it's just but with baseball, a guy like Jose Altuve who is 5'6", he was considered puny back in 1911. <laughs> and for a time, he emerged as the greatest player, I think, in the game. You know, he's still fantastic, but there, I mean, he was uh, unbelievable. So uh, Ty Cobb presents a very interesting personality. This guy was just an absolute uh, complex, very um, headstrong, stubborn individual. He's not quite as bad as many people think today. I mean, uh, they, they see him as a, a racist, a murderer, someone that was just over the top uh, in every possible way. A lot of that's been debunked in recent times. And if you really do a deep dive on Cobb, which I did in doing the historical analysis, this guy was just God in baseball in, in the early 19th century, 20th century. And uh, every day he was performing magic on the field. But what makes him so unique, of course, is the psychological warfare that he engaged in. Now, one question a lot of people ask, well, Cobb hits 420 in 1911. Would he even hit 250 today? Well, I make a case that a player from the past might actually outperform players today. I know that's probably blasphemous to a lot of people. But you look at the game. 
you had Blum with the extra inning thing. Now you might be like going, you know. I, anyway. I'm going to see okay. if I can convert you. No, I want to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> I know, me too. The players from the early 20th century had to face pitchers that threw the spitball. And they put everything you can imagine on that ball, and it darted and went all over the place. They would scuff it up. They would, I mean, it was just an art form. The player was, the ball was soggy. It would get darker with time. I mean, the same baseball was essentially used the entire game. Yeah. So you can imagine, uh, instead of a white game, a ball, by the time you're in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, the thing's brown or, 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 or gray. And not only that, but the games would start at 3.30 because they didn't have lights. Often uh, the, the last few innings would play in dusk. You couldn't even see the ball. So uh, some guy like Cobb, yeah, the pitchers throw a lot faster today, but there were some that threw pretty fast. I think Walter Johnson, most yeah. experts would agree, was had to be in the mid-90s, if not higher. And, uh, and, John, and Cobb did great against uh, Johnson. He hit about 350 against uh, Walter Johnson, who many consider the greatest pitcher of his era. So uh, you have other things, too. Cobb played with these heavy wool flannel uniforms that, you know, probably added five or ten pounds. Uh, the bats before they, they began to sweat in them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and so if you look at all the, the factors, uh, granted, there, there are a lot of things that make it more difficult today with all the relief pitchers, the speed of the game, et cetera, et cetera. But I think uh, some of these guys, especially they're, they're batsmen, they're, they're not swinging from their heels on every single pitch, you know, trying to launch it into orbit. Cobb was uh, an expert batsman. He would, he would uh, just, try to pop the ball into left field sometimes. He, he was a master but bans, butsman, and uh, people don't bunt anymore. So uh, a guy like him, you know, he might surprise some people if you were to play in the modern game. Oh, I agree. And, and Tuttle and I have talked about it off air about, you know, the, the change in equipment. If you put Ty Cobb with a modern day bat and spikes and fielding surface and glove, it's only going to enhance what he already had back in the day, like you're saying. And I congratulate you on doing the research in it because, you know, there's only certain things, you know, that the, the casual fan can dig into. And you really got into it and exposed a lot about Ty Cobb. And to that point, when you kind of reintroduced Ty Cobb as a player for the Braves, maybe in the modern day, you know, you exposed what it would be like for him in the dugout with the attitude that he did have. So some of his teammates are going, man, you're going to get us killed the way you're playing instead of embracing the mentality that Ty Cobb had. So that was highly entertaining. But I've got to ask you a question. You talked about wanting to go back in time and, and be able to watch some of those games. So we've got a reservation for four at your favorite restaurant. It's going to be you. And what, are the, what three other players are you inviting to dinner with you for that night? Well, of course it has to be. Ty Cobb, <laughs> without exception. Uh, I would invite Babe Ruth, uh, and uh, you know I would have to put a pitcher in there, probably Walter Johnson, just because uh, to, to me those were the three great players from that era. I mean, I would love to have uh, uh, dinner with Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, and a lot of others, Bob Feller, but uh, I think those three would be make it the most interesting. Yeah, I, th I think with those three, you just have to sit down a bottle of wine and sit back because they probably start telling stories about each other <laughs> and some of the at-bats they had. Exactly. It would be interesting to see if uh, how they all got along as well. If Babe Ruth and uh, Ty Cobb would be civil or they'd be throwing bolt, uh, blows at some point. Um, now, I have to mention one thing, if you don't mind. Uh, no. If you read the book, you'll find out that we're not sure if it's really Ty Cobb. It may be Chase Ripley, a supremely talented college player who disappears about the same time that Ty Cobb 
or the man who claims to be wakes up in a hospital after being a victim of a hit and run accident where his face is severely mangled. So uh, the mystique needs to, to remain there. <laughs> nevertheless. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't want to like spoiler alert. Like you said, I wanted a, a couple things to finish up. The debate is great. I love Roland that you are, I mean, maybe it's the attorney in you as well, but I, I, I get frustrated and Blummer and I've talked about this on the podcast prior to nowadays. If you say, Oh yeah. Remember when uh, Pete Rose bowled the catcher over in the 1976 all-star game. And the first person, somebody does Google it and tell you it's a 1975 all-star game. Like you're, you know, the semantics, <laughs> the semantics get it's lost. Yeah. The semantics get lost, but I, I, you know, in, in the detail, and I think what you said is great. You just put together a great argument that would be really hard to, to refute in that, you know, they started games at three 30, there were no lights. I mean, these are factual things that happened. And I think that that's kind of what this podcast is about. And that's what this new medium is about, right? That you can have these discussions. You can actually disagree without having to throw somebody out with the trash um, and say, well, no, that's blasphemous. And that would never happen. And this guy's crazy. Um, could you, um, we're going to wrap up here and I was just going to say, could you kind of give us, you already talked about Chase Ripley, but could you give us a little teaser about the trilogy a little bit? Are you going to get into other players without ruining, you know, kind of the, the theme or the thought and then make sure you let us know if you have, I know we already talked about your podcast, but if you have like social media or if you want to, um, pump up the MLB.com where you can download the book. And also, I believe you had uh, maybe some inroads to a Sports Illustrated column. So anyway, just anything you want to add to that um, trilogy and then, you know, where we can reach you or where we can follow you moving forward. Well, thank you for that. The, uh, the first book of the trilogy, like I said before, will be fully delivered on the uh, website by mid-August. We're almost there. And uh, Kai Cobb, or the man who claims to be Ty Cobb, makes his debut with the Atlanta Braves and has some very rocky times after he starts playing on the team. Um, and uh, without giving too much away, uh, the first episode, or the first book ends on a cliffhanger. Ah. Um, uh, and uh, Dr. Cantrell, a psychologist or psych psychiatrist who would just love to experiment with this guy, becomes a part of that ending that uh, hopefully will keep the readers wanting more. Uh, the second book of the trilogy uh, is tentatively titled Chasing Legends from Ghost Past. And in this, there are sequences and events that that will just mesmerize fans that never been seen before. With Ty Cobb, I can get away with anything on the field of play or <laughs> claims to be him. And some of the things that occur will, I think, astonish people like coming to bat with a blindfold on his face in one instance. Uh, another instance where uh, they put a fielding shift on Cobb and Cobb is just deliriously happy because he can bunt his way to base hits all day long. And when they finally decide not to shift anymore, Cobb says, wait a minute. And he tries to motion the players back to where they were <laughs> and refuses to bat until they return to their positions with all the guys in right field except for the third baseman. So there's a lot more that goes on. I mean, he's a fugitive from justice. Uh, people are, are trying to kill him. They're death threats. Uh, th this is a baseball season, forgive the word, on steroids, like nothing <laughs> anyone has ever seen before. As we say in one of the promotional banners, get ready for the ride of your life, fans. And uh, the third book of the trilogy continues beyond uh, the regular season, so I don't want to spoil what's going to happen there, but it is just a roller coaster ride that I think the fans will really enjoy. 
Awesome. Awesome. Roland, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Now, your website is rolandcolton.com, R-O-L-A-N-D-C-O-L-T-O-N. Do you have any like social media or anything else now that you want to um, kind of plug or are you, are you good with the website? The website's great. I'm also on Twitter, Roland Colton Twitter, and uh, I've got some other ones, but the website's primary focus right now. And again, thank you so much for giving me some time and I hope to be back soon. That's outstanding. Hey, great meeting you, Roland. Great stuff. I highly encourage everybody to get on to rolandcolton.com and check it out. It's great. It's been a pleasure. All right. We'll hope to see you on the basketball court soon when COVID's over. All right. Roland. Likewise, Dave. Right. Hope you're on my team, by the way. <laughs> Take care. Great catching up with Roland. He was an excellent interview, Tuttle. I appreciate the knowledge and uh, connection you have with Roland. It was a nice little intriguing uh, you know, name drop he had at the end of that, maybe saying, who really is Ty Cobb? But uh, I enjoyed it. So thank you for doing that and hooking us up with that interview. Yeah, you bet. You hook us up all the time. So we got we to gotta kind of, you know, divide and conquer. Um, you know, Jeff, we talked about what's on tap. I wanted to ask you some. I was listening to the broadcast the other night, and um, uh, I think TK mentioned that Correa and McCullers, I believe, have a podcast. I guess it's yeah. UFC or – The um, Walkout. Yeah, something like that. But uh, But I thought – I, I might I might have to go back and listen, but it sounded like TK was opening the door for you to kind of, you know, he said something like, yeah, you have a little more experience than they do with podcasting, don't you, Blummer? And you just took that like, you made a right turn. I was waiting <laughs> to get some publicity on the broadcast. I don't know if that's what TK was trying to do. Maybe I misunderstood. Did you, uh, do you recall what I'm talking about? Or are you like, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, no he was to, I, you know, I, you know, it's, it's uh, a little bit of humbleness and <laughs> yeah you know, and being on your own broadcast and, you know, I'm still getting accustomed to plugging my stuff, you know, yeah, so yeah. it's kind of interesting in that sense, but no, TK is one of the sweetest, <laughs> most, most awesome dudes I've met because he, he is, he doesn't care where we're at. He's like, you got a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. You know, he, yeah. he kind of sets me up for it and I do kind of veer off it a little bit, Good. but you know, I need to become a little, maybe become a little more vocal in that sense and be like, yeah, you're darn right. I've got a podcast. Bleacher Blunt is the best in the business, man. Go to iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, where you can find it on all audio platforms. And don't forget the Social Nostra Network. That's where you can find us too on YouTube. <laughs> that sounds great. You could do that. Or you could maintain your uh, humbleness. Uh, you and I text back and forth and uh, I'm talking about maybe getting a a cutout in Houston for my daughter. Ooh, this is um, and idea. you were saying she should be wearing like a bleacher blums t-shirt, something like that. That might be all the publicity we need. I do appreciate you being uh, true to yourself and being humble. Uh, we did not start this podcast so that you could get on the Astros broadcast and plug it. I just was <laughs> listening and I wanted to make sure I heard it correctly. He said, yeah, those guys aren't as experienced as you Blummer, yeah. right? You have your own podcast. You're like, yeah, their podcast is pretty good. It's a UFC podcast. And it was like, Oh, we just went right turn. And I'm like, damn Blummer just like, you're, you're a good man. That's all I can say. So I actually more than giving you a hard time. I appreciate that, yeah. um, that you, that you made a right turn. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If, if things are supposed to happen, they will, right? And I'm supposed to be a team player too and be like, you know what? Not only am I letting myself down, I'm letting Tuttle down by mm. not exposing our great podcast to the masses <laughs> who are watching Astros baseball. But you know what? It, it's kind of funny that you do say that because, you know, we get obviously a strong contingent of Astro fans, but I think this year we're starting to get some fans outside of our market who are just – have that pure hatred of the Astros and want to watch our <laughs> broadcast. So they start to pick on me and Todd a little bit. And I should actually pub, you know, publicize that I do have a podcast because I do 
I do temper what I say on the broadcast for our fans. Whereas on the podcast, I can be a little more vocal and a little more open, a little more opinionated and, and express myself a little bit better. And that might help some of those knuckleheads from outside the market who watch this and listen to this and go, oh, okay, maybe he's not such a dumbass after all, you know, instead and understanding that the regional market I'm working in doesn't want to be inundated with Astros hate. I'm not appeasing to the to the nation. I'm appeasing, you know, I'm not appeasing to anybody to be honest yeah. with you, but I'm broadcasting for the Astros. Yeah. And uh, out here on this uh, platform, I can be a little more honest. And I think that's great. And I honestly think that that's why people should tune into the podcast. I mean, I've heard yeah. you on San Diego radio, the mighty 1090 for years, you get asked to do different things around the country that we, you know, that we can listen to. And typically you go on as a representative of the Astros. Uh, it depends on almost what hat you're wearing. Literally, if somebody mm -hmm. says, Hey, we True. just want you to come on as, you know, a, you know, 16 year big leaguer, 14 year big leaguer and wear this hat and just give us some insight. That's great. If they want you on as an Astros employee, then you've got to couch it a little bit and you not, you kind of know what your, uh, your lane is when you, when you speak to that. But if somebody really wants to hear your opinion or really wants to kind of get under your skin or have a debate about something um, that you feel passionate about, but you don't have to answer with the Astros hat on. I think this podcast is a great avenue for that. And, you know, I welcome that. And again, like I said, I appreciate what you said there tonight. I just wanted to make sure that I could hear it correctly. Yeah. And I was like, man, I wonder, cause Jeff's smart, man. He catches that stuff. <laughs> My highlight bringing up TK again was uh, last year tuning into a broadcast and you teed up something and he said, yeah, what'll Tuttle say? And I was like, yeah, I got to record that somewhere, you know, you nailed it. TK nailed it. So really good guy. Like you said, a sweetheart of a guy. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back on the golf course with you guys uh, eventually here soon. But uh, yeah, he was teeing you up. And, uh, and I think you're just, uh, like I said, you know, you're just, uh, you're just you. And that's a good thing. And I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get plenty of uh, followers based on, you know, continuing out to put, uh, continuing to put out good content. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. I will do better for us and put it out there a little more often but uh, the content has been good and uh, we just had a great interview with Roland Colton which was a lot of fun to talk about last week we talked golf so we're trying to expand our horizons a little bit and this has been an interesting week in sports I know that we talk a lot about baseball but uh, we pay attention and it, what was it about a month ago we had Jeff Schwartz on uh, who talked a lot about the NFL we talked about the upcoming college football season and something is happening that even I don't think he predicted or even thought would be a possibility because of the financial impact and I'm going to get a little bit into the financial impact of what just happened because the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have canceled their seasons or postponed them at least until maybe the spring we're not yeah, sure just what till that's the spring gonna... they're not canceled no I'm kidding right <laughs> yeah I mean it's kind of crazy to think that you can I mean and again you know Verbiage is, is verbiage in a lot of these statements is is paramount because of ticket sales. So you know postponement, canceling. I mean everything takes on a different uh, connotation and can mean different things. But we should have them, asked Roland some attorney questions while yeah. he was on. Like the verbiage well, we could have is asked super. Him about the CBA. Too. Yeah. Well, Jesus. like you said, but no, we'll have him back. But I'm just saying <laughs> what you said is right, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just saying the no, verbiage right. is what they're out. talking about. These are the attorneys. Yeah. No, the attorneys are getting with the, the, the presidents of these uh, conferences and they've postponed it, canceled it, whatever you want to call it. You, know, it. you know, it's canceled until they play it. So, I mean, I guess that's the term of postponement. But it's just interesting that they have cut out the fall season. We know that some schools are not going back to campus 
and uh, the, you know, as far as overall students, but these are college towns whose economy is solely run on what the university brings to it, not just football. Think about it in a wide range, a, a big, you know, I'll bring up an example. I wanna get Tuttle's opinion on this real quick, but think about it overall. If you don't have a, a contingent of students in this town, guess what? There's no rent, restaurants aren't having their food bought, supermarkets aren't having their food bought out of there. Uh, you know, beer sales are going to fail. You're not going to have tailgating. You're not, there's so many things that go into this, just having students on campus. But Tuttle, your initial reaction when you heard the news that, that these are two big five conferences who have uh, postponed their seasons for the time being. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of keep everything in two buckets. From an overall perspective, we talked about this. I try not to get political, but from an economical standpoint, this is devastating for a lot oh, of man. us. And you know, we talked about your season being shortened, you know, you a third of the baseball season. And, um, you know, I mean, some of the players getting a third of the pay that they're used to. And there's all kinds of um, you getting a third of the pay <laughs> that you're used to, um, of course. But but the point is that we're all kind of subject to that. So put that, you know, into that bucket. And this is going to be a really difficult time if we can't either come up with a, a, a vaccine or something that's going to change the trajectory that we're on. The other thing, so now out of the economic bucket and what that's going to mean for jobs and, you know, like you said, beer sales, which is probably huge, tailgating, I mean, all of that stuff. Put that aside and say, you know, for the athlete in general, I wonder how this works on recruiting classes. Um, you know, oh, man, so if yeah. you redshirt like five or 10 guys and then you recruit 10 more people, you know, now you got 20 guys all stuck here. I mean, if they play in the spring, then maybe it's different as well. So there is no guarantee we're going to play. I think I'm personally frustrated for those athletes because you and I both had, both had that great college experience of um, playing sports and we didn't have an issue like this, but, but overall, I think it's the right thing to do. We keep talking about sports. Like, you know, how do we get it to normal? You know, we have the NBA playing in a bubble. The NFL says they're not going to be in a bubble. We've talked about that. They need 53 guys on a roster. How many guys do you bring at camp? You're not going to be in a bubble. Guys are going to blow out because they're not at game speed. You know, we've seen the Astros pitching staff specific to this podcast devastated, right? You got all these young guys coming up. They're on the taxi squad. So there are a lot of other issues, but I think, you know, tip of the cap, it's commendable. I think I saw Jay Billis and some other guys making fun of the NCAA because like now, oh, now it's a decision, you know, that you guys can make. But over here, you can't make a decision like that. Um, <laughs> you know, true. so, right. So now it's like, but I think societally, it's the right thing to do. It doesn't mean it's going to be good. It's going to be mostly negative, I think, from the economy standpoint, from the student standpoint. But I mean, look, we're all in this pandemic and we keep trying yeah. to get back to normal. And I even said earlier, the reason the PGA is so great on TV is that it seems almost like normal. You, you don't have the galleries, mm -hmm. but you don't watch golf for the fans anyway, unless you're watching the Phoenix open. Right. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, that's so about we, an in-person experience. Yeah. It's, it's not in a TV. Person. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, so to your point, the two big conferences canceling football, I think it's the only you know right thing to do. You know, there's no mm -hmm. concerts, there's no public gatherings. I think it's the right thing to do. And it would be uh, interesting to hear if there was a converse argument to that, because I just think there are a ton of ramifications that are negative, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah, unfortunately, it does seem that way. But at the same time, you know, you keep it, it, there's it's still amazing to me the lack of information or the variance in some of the scientific research that we get. You know, there I 
there's a guy named Scott Atlas. Uh, I think he's on Twitter, Scott Atlas. And he, he's a professor at uh, Stanford. And he's really done a great job of getting into the numbers and trying to kind of play it straight down the middle instead of politicizing either way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he points to some great information that says, you know, 20-year-old athletes are actually not immune to this, but they can survive this and, and, and deal with it a little bit better than maybe Tull and I could at our advanced age or some others out there, you know, and it's interesting to me that college football isn't taking the chance with, you know, some of the rules and regulations that they've seen from other major sports organizations, you know, baseball doing it with no fans and creating that travel bubble, Uh, the NBA doing it with a, just a bubble. I know there's a lot of different logistical nightmares that they have to go through, but the NFL is talking about having a season and uh, doing it similarly to baseball. So, I don't know how much of that they actually thought about or if they just said, you know what, we have control of these athletes in fall, winter, spring, summer. So why don't we just move it back to spring and see what we can do? Because, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but I'm sure the NCAA is looking at the situation. If we move college football to the winter, what are we going to mess up? Basketball, basketball season. They don't want to interfere with that. Well, if we move the college football season to spring, what are we going to interfere with? Baseball and everybody's big deal. College baseball is good, but it doesn't, uh, you know, take place of what the college football season brings. So it's kind of interesting in that aspect. But I listened to a podcast uh, by Spotrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. And uh, if you go to Spotrack.com, they do a great job on contracts, talking about, uh, you know, uh, salary caps and things like that in contracts. But they also break down the finances of, of sport. And I highly encourage everybody to listen to it. And the guys on there were actually talking about the, the economical impact. And this is what fascinated me about this. And this will be the last thing I say on this topic. And I'll let Tuttle run with it as long as he wants. But Tuscaloosa, that's the University of Alabama, not a mecca for tourism, unless you're going to watch a football game and you show up <laughs> on Thursday and uh, leave Sunday or Monday morning. And how about this? In Tuscaloosa, that city's economy will lose just not having students on campus, no students on campus. That's it. We'll lose. According to spot Trek, $600,000 per week. That's just no students. Now add in no football on the year. That city will lose $175 million. That's got to be, a, like you said earlier, it's, it's a third of their economy. That is unbelievable. How does, I mean, that's what's impacting by not having college football in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, and I don't know how long we can maintain that. So again, this to me, that's a, yeah. a, how long a, can you? Yeah, it's a bigger issue than sports. Like we really need to get this stuff figured out um, for the health and well-being uh, of, of folks, but also for the health of the economy. And I think We've talked about this on the podcast pretty extensively. I know um, my daughters uh, had some friends over and they've gone to a birthday party now. And, you know, I mean, we're just willing to take some risks that may, um, maybe we hadn't thought of prior from a risk standpoint. And then what are the risks? As you said, with, uh, with Dr. Atlas, you know, from Stanford, I mean, there's, there's not necessarily a, a concrete definitive thought or uh, news source that you can go to that will tell you, hey, this is exactly how you should act. And, you know, there's always that somebody muddying the water, because I agree, it seems like young folks are healthy. And that was one of the actual things that stood out at the beginning of this, is typically when influenza is really strong, the, the newborns are affected, 
and now they have the elderly that are affected. In this instance, it's just mm -hmm. the elderly. It's just been the elderly. And they think that's tied to some vaccinations. They also think that's tied to the mechanism of action and the, um, the way that um, people metabolize and, and, and understand this disease state. And when you're younger, it's easier. But then somebody's muddying the water saying, well, it could create a long-term heart condition or a long-term effect or lung condition. And all of a sudden now it's like, all right, well, then nobody is safe. And I think we're going to have to, you know, Hindsight's 2020, and you know, with the length of time, we're going to get some more answers. But I do think, like you said, Tuscaloosa cannot lose $175 million this year, next year, and the year after that, and be able to survive and have the store stay open and, you know, and, and actually run as a university if, mm -hmm. uh, if it continues. So we really do need, um, you know, I hate to be that guy, but, you know, we re really need some kind of immediate um, remedies to this. And maybe, like I said, I think Schwartz, as you mentioned, when he was on a month or two ago, mentioned that, you know, they're going to be losing money, but in the South, they're going to play. And it's so great that like the Pac-12 and then the <laughs> Mac were the two that opted out. And now the SEC is like, woohoo. And they're talking about how well, the SEC, us. that's right. The SEC is like, we're going to power through. And mm -hmm. so um, that speaks a lot to um, how impactful that um, financial situation is, but it also speaks a lot to like, man, we ain't going to miss our football. We're, we're going to play. Yeah, it's regional. So, you got to be right. honest. It's regional. It's philosophy. And that's yep. the beauty of our country is it's so yep. big that you're going to have these varying uh, ideas on how to handle things. So true, man. So true. Yeah. It, it's been interesting. And the COVID crisis is, is uh, affecting everybody. Baseball is like Tuttle said, trying to power through it much like I'm sure the SEC is going to think about uh, handling things. But uh, there was an incident with the Cleveland Indians that happened while they were in Chicago. And uh, you, everybody knows as well as, uh, as I do that uh, Chicago is a pretty good city to not only <laughs> win in, but to go out in. Maybe not everybody knows that, but I know that and you know that. That's a really damn good town. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good town. We have a good time there. Great restaurants, great nightlife. The, the people are amazing. And it's one of those stops on, on the tour in baseball that you really look forward to. And things have to change in this COVID era. And uh, there were two players on the Cleveland Indians team that said, uh, we're not going to adhere to the rule and request that we can go out of the hotel and go have a good time at night. So they went off on their own. It was uh, uh, Clevenger and Plesak, two pitchers in the rotation for the Cleveland Indians who decided to go out there. And the only reason I'm really bringing this up is because of some of the ramifications within the clubhouse that have really jumped out to me. And I appreciate you know, Francisco Lindor and Adam Plutko, another pitcher on that uh, ball club. So if you get a chance, go Google Adam Plutko comments because he calls them out. Yep. He blasts them and uh, put them on red alert uh, immediately saying, if you're a grown ass man, act like a grown ass man and admit your fault and apology to everybody in the world. Because we live in an era now where we we see people like Clevenger pick on teams or players and, and, and harp on them and ex try and expose them for their weaknesses. But guess what? That knife can cut both ways. If you do call people out, you better watch your ass. And uh, the way Clevenger handled it was he went out with Plesak. Plesak got caught. Clevenger didn't. Plesak had to drive home. Uh, I believe it was a five-hour drive back to uh, Cleveland from Chicago. And guess who took the team flight back because they didn't admit they were with Plesak? Clevenger. So he possibly put everybody at risk in that situation. And I applaud Shapiro and um, uh, Terry Francona for putting them on the restricted list. And, 
you know, having some consequences. So good for them. But uh, after what happened in Miami and St. Louis, you know, these things have to be talked about and exposed, man. Parenting 101, man. I mean, if you ask me what my number one parenting philosophy is, it's got to be consequences, right? So you talk about the consequences, you set the rules in place, there have to be consequences. The other thing that you touched on um, is that the knife cuts both ways. That's, hey, you live in a glass house, do not throw stones. And uh, Clevenger has been fairly vocal, police act less so. I think there's two things here. One is it's commendable because Clevenger and Plesak are their two, you know, two of their better starters. Great. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so the fact that, you know, this would be one thing if this was a taxi squad guy, I mean, they'd either cut him or send him back down and they wouldn't be suffering consequences. <laughs> but Plesak has, you know, his ERA was like one, two, nine or something like that. He's just thrown mm-hmm. two of his best starts of his career. He's like 12 innings, one earned run. And, uh, and Clevenger, we know, is kind of, you know, maybe not a number one starter, but he's two or three in there and he's, you know, pretty aggressive and a pretty – frontline guy. I don't know if you want him in your clubhouse based on some of these actions. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and I I read this on The Athletic, I believe, but, um, you know, Plutko, I saw that as well, um, how vocal he was. But um, Carlos Carrasco is their number one guy, and he just came back. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up. Yeah, yeah. so he just came back from uh, uh, his uh, leukemia treatments, and he's, you know, he's basically, I don't know if you want to call him immunocompromised, but that would certainly be what you would – yeah, he's high yeah. risk, right? So he obviously wouldn't be pitching in the big leagues if he was super immunocompromised, but he's high risk. They talked about that actually at the outset. And there were some other quotes from Clevenger and guys like Plutko that said, yeah, you know, we have to be extra careful because, you know, we have a high risk guy on our team. And this almost goes back to our, when we talked about the Black Lives Matter topic. I mean, we don't, care in the clubhouse i mean i you know Mm -hmm. the vegas thing started which is you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas and this is a conundrum because what happens in the clubhouse stays in (laughs) right right but what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse and it's so funny here's police act driving back by himself and clevenger's on the plane they were out together so police act's knocking out clevenger clevenger's knocking out police act and it's going to get him more in more hot water because he flew on the plane now it sounds like he's negative and the rest of the guys are negative thankfully but you know this this is just a lot to digest and a lot to chew. Yeah. But what we said about that, um, you know, at the Black Lives Matter and the, uh, you know, kind of the social justice stuff is that we don't care in the clubhouse. I never cared about skin color. I never cared about where a guy came from. I cared that he was rowing the boat in the same direction as I was mm-hmm. and he was busting his ass. Well, guess what this does? You know, this undermines that too. So we can't trust this guy. We can't trust what he says. We, we don't know if he's working hard. He's saying he's working hard, but we don't see him around here. You know, I mean, you want to have that foundation rock solid and understood because these 25 guys are going to um, work together to win a championship or be as successful as we can be. And as you said, the leaders like Plutko is not even necessarily a leader on the field, but Plutko. He might be now. Yeah, Plutko, Lindor. Um, Francona, these guys that people look up to in that clubhouse, took a stand. And I think they for sure did the right thing. But I, I the, the thing that stood out to me beyond what you said, um, Lindor and uh, Plutko's comments was that, you know, Carrasco is kind of a high risk guy and they put him at risk. And I wonder how that will sit with the rest of the team and, um, you know, how that will look as they come back into the fold. 
No, you're exactly right. I appreciate you bringing up the Carrasco thing because that whole reason these protocols are put in place is to watch out to get to watch out for the guy next to you. And much like we see in society, you know, wearing a mask, social distancing, all these things are to protect the other person. And if we all think about protecting the other person, we'll be protected. It kind of has that residual effect as it comes back around. But at the same time, there's two things in this thing that drove me nuts and that you hate to see in clubhouses is a broken trust, which has been crushed and then selfishness. And sometimes those lead to awful things and the consequences have been taken. But, you know, in this situation too, I really feel like the Indians are going to welcome these guys back because they want to win baseball games. And unfortunately, that's where we're at now is that uh, we're going to wait and see as these guys are on the restricted list. Now, they didn't suspend them, but there have been suspensions throughout the league. And the A's and Astros had a bit of a confrontation with Lariano, Ramon Lariano, getting thrown at three times in the Astros series. Uh, there might be some underlying issues that created that situation, but we're just going to take it for what it's worth. And Lariano took uh, offense to the fact he got hit three times and told uh, a double-A guy how to pitch, which I, I, I still feel was a little disrespectful because I don't think that, you know, every time Loriano swung and missed at a pitch, you know, what if the pitcher was like, hey, man, you really should you get know, your hands. Yeah, you got to have your hands here. And why are you swinging at that pitch? You know, yeah. obviously it was a ball. But that being said, there was a situation where he went to first base and the camera angle blatantly shows that Alex Cintron, one of the assistant hitting coaches for the Houston Astros, was chirping, barking. You could hear it, you know, like Tuttle mentioned earlier, the hot mic has been a lot of fun in a lot of situations, <laughs> this being one of them. And Maybe not so fun for Cintron in this situation. We can hear word for word what you said. You will be yeah. suspended. Sorry. So th- things were being said, which is, you know, when you're in a dugout, you get emotional, irrational, you lose your mind a little bit. But at the same time, there is there should be a separation between player and coach. And this is even something I've learned in the booth is, you know, player broadcaster. I can't be I – can, I can have an opinion, but I can't be emotional about my opinion because all that's going to do is kind of muddy my ideas. So – but it's even worse on the field. The coach should not be pro- provoking a fight. So in provoking it, he said, come and get it. And Lariano said, okay, I'm going to come and get it and proceeded to get perfectly formed tackled by Dustin Garneau, which isn't getting talked about enough for, you know, hit of the week or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, uh, the suspensions came out and Lariano got six games, which I think is appropriate. You know, Joe, uh, oh man, Joe Kelly got eight games. Lariano gets six. He charged the dugout, incited a fight, bench clearing. Everybody gets off there. But at the same time, uh, Alex Cintron equally, not equally culpable, probably more so. And the league came down on him with a 20-game suspension. And, uh, you know, I know Cintron. Uh, I work with Cintron because he's the hitting coach and we communicate uh, for my job and just knowledge and things like that. But uh, I think he knows as well as I do that that was very inappropriate and unfolded in probably the worst possible way. Um, I happen to know Cintron as well. I had the great fortune of playing with him in El Paso. Um, Not a bad teammate at all, by the way. Um, Just, you know, maybe not my cup of tea, but not a bad guy. But I think you actually just touched on something that's a little more um, overarching, which is kind of knowing your role and it's got to be really hard now still wearing a uniform as an ex-player in the dugout. 
I mean, still protect your own. I get that. Yeah, Yeah. right. I get that. So the chirpiness, but you know, you really have to divide that brain. This brain is, Hey, I'm, I mean, assistant hitting coach. I didn't even know they had those in the big leagues anymore. I mean, it's hitting coach. Like your your Giants team has 35 coaches. I know. And they have a female (laughs) coach, which is nothing wrong with that. But gosh, you know, 37 people in the dugout, we got and a statistician (laughs) and a shift guy and a, this guy and whatever. Yeah, we and I know Sintron is bilingual, which helps as well. So yeah, no, a lot of a lot of dynamics going on there. But the simplistic uh, kind of uh, analysis is that, look, you split yourself. I mean, I feel the same way now. It's like watching my kids play sports. Like, I can't be out there doing it. I'm not part of it. I'm not going to get in there and get in the mix. Like, look, you're the assistant hitting coach. That's kind of like the trainer, like chirping, you know, <laughs> from the dugout. And now the trainer's out there throwing blows. It's like... And I don't mean that to diminish Cintron. I'm just saying, look, you were a player. And if you had a beef with a guy, then you could settle it on the field as players, like man to man. But you're like the assistant to the assistant to the assistant hitting coach. You don't have a beef with this. And if there's a history, I actually wrote down thrown at question mark. You said, hey, you got thrown at three times. I mean, that's certainly that last one by Castellanos. He was trying to spin it and it didn't spin, which is your point about Loriano going, hey, get your hand over the ball. It's like, dude, he wasn't throwing at you. If you have to tell him that he just didn't get his release point right, guess what? He threw a cement mixer, you know, or a backup slider that hit you. And I realized the frustration was there. But uh, anyway, I'm just saying you, you, you mentioned it with being a broadcaster and a former player. Um, me being a former player, not being around the game as much. I've yelled at my TV before, but you know, you know, darn well that you're not going to be going out there and like throwing blows. Like you might like back up a player. You might say, Hey, this, but you cannot be the instigator. Um, and you cannot be on the forefront of like calling dudes out. Like you're, you know, I don't know. Like it, 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 the analogy is like Mike Tyson and, you know, and, uh, and Larry Holmes going at it and they're talking trash and then you're Mike's trainer. So you come out there and say, Hey, I trained this guy. Let's go. You're, you know, it's like, no, get, you're in the background. Let those guys do it. And so I don't know. I don't know what Loriano's beef was with the Astros in general. It's funny to hear during that series, how many guys were traded for like the Grossman. And they're like, Oh, this guy was drafted by the Astros. This guy was the Astros and Loriano was traded from the Astros. So there may be some history there. You mentioned thrown at, so there might have been a little beef in there because I know you have some inside knowledge. I just that came out of your mouth in a funny way, but I, I just feel like the tension um, was obviously mounting. But the coach's job is to diffuse that tension, not enhance it. And I would support, like you said, the uh, the harsh penalty that he got because you know those are the consequences yeah. for uh, you know stepping out of your lane and you know being something no, you're not. Major League Baseball was adamant about it, and they've, it's in writing that says severe penalty if you provoke a, a bench-clearing situation. Yeah. And that is, you know, with the camera angles and the attention that is on these players, you know, the cameras aren't, aren't looking at fans. They're not looking at anything else. They are there purely for everybody that's on the field. And he yeah. found himself in the line of fire with a, uh, a camera right on him, and he provoked it, and he's wearing it right now with the 20-game suspension. And you talked about attention. And, uh, you know, there's good attention, there's bad attention. The good attention is, is that we have what'll Tuttle say right now, man. All right, what'll Tuttle say? And we, we might be followed up by Blum's Blast if you have enough time to think of one. So we'll, uh, we'll figure that out when it comes. So what'll Tuttle say is, I think, a good one today. I did want to finish up um, your thought about the tackle, by the way, too, because catchers are taught. I got charged a couple times in the minor leagues. And I remember uh, my catcher was a former Arizona State guy. Um, Tucker Hammergren, man, he, 
this guy got halfway out. He was a UCLA running back that was playing minor league ball. And this, our catcher got halfway out, just did the behind the back tackle and dropped him before he got there. <laughs> That's beautiful. I was like, yeah. So catchers, they know their role. So, I mean, yeah. we give that guy credit for, for getting to Loriano, but man, catchers are so good. Not just protecting your teammate, but look, if you just tackle the guy, get him to the ground, it's less likely to be some sort of fisticuffs or, you know, or, no, you, you know, know what? It's it's funny you say that because uh, Loriano, you know, Garneau played with the A's, so he knows Loriano, and uh, which makes it even more interesting that he took him down. But Loriano actually said he actually saved us a lot of damage in that situation where fists could have been thrown. Yeah, well, there you go. I love it. See, these guys all know each other. That's the other thing we were saying. So I mean, weird, just yeah. in that series, it was weird because they were like, this guy got traded and this guy was here and he played there last year and there. But it seemed to be a lot of Astros A's connection there. So that that's cool. And and it's funny how Loriano didn't have an issue with what he did because mm-hmm. he knew with what uh, Garneau did because he knew that that's you know, his role. That's what he's supposed to do. So the Waddle Tuttle topic today, Waddle Tuttle say topic, is um, electric bikes. I mean, this <laughs> is like, dude, this is a phenomenon that I did not see coming. So there's a couple of things, right? As an entrepreneur, I would like to get into this. I got two 12 to 14 year old girls riding around my neighborhood, no helmets on electric bikes going like 30 miles an hour. I feel like, yeah, California, we got good weather. I feel like it's a loophole. I feel like, (laughs) look, if you have a motorcycle, you have to have a license and you got to drive. It It has to be street legal or you take it off road. If you have a little Vespa, a little, you know, and you're driving on the road, you got to wear a helmet and you got to Dude, electric bikes came out of nowhere. Like six months ago, I never even saw electric bikes. I'm pedaling. I, I went mountain biking the other day and I'm pedaling. And this dude passed me like I was standing still. I was moving, man. I was like, hey, what is, oh, he's got the electric boost on that thing. He's like, whoop, he's got the right by me. So I bring it up, um, not so much as a rant, but you know, the typical Waddle Tuttle say fashion to say, this is something we got to watch out for. And mark my words, you know, all these podcasts are recorded and now video recorded. We're on the social Noster network. Um, something bad's going to happen before we figure out that, dude, 10 year olds should not have electric bikes just to cruise around. I mean, I've seen this guy pulled up with an electric bike truck the other day and he sold like 12 to the neighborhood. They bought three and they bought two. Wow. I mean, it's one thing, like I do a lot of fitness, like if I'm lazy and I want to take the bike somewhere, you know, I thought biking was so you could get in shape. I like the electric bike. I think I know how to use it responsibly, but this is in California. You got to tell me, I know it's still hot in Houston. So maybe people aren't out and about dude, there are electric bikes everywhere. I saw them through traffic, riding the bike yeah. line, bike lane. I, I saw a guy, I had to take my car in for service the other day, riding his electric bike 20 miles an hour on the sidewalk. Now he was actually going the same direction as traffic, but I was going to come up and make a right turn. And I had to look to see like, he had no helmet on. Is he going to, you know, I mean, there's got to be some rules of the road, right? We yeah. know like when you're a pedestrian, you walk towards traffic. When you're a bicycle, bicyclist, you ride with traffic. But man, when people go the wrong way on the sidewalk on an electric bike and I pull up to the stop sign, I look to the left and this guy's coming, he gives you the dirty look. I'm like, dude, you're riding 30 miles an hour the wrong way on a sidewalk. Like, where, where's my responsibility in that? That's on you. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I say all that to say I'm a little nervous about where this is going because I see who's driving them and I see how they're driving them. And there doesn't seem to be any regulation. Like, I don't see people down at the DMV trying to get their electric bike license. So have you seen the, the phenomenon there in Houston? 
Um, not as much because it is summer, but I know what bike you're talking about because I've seen a handful of them and it's a little bit different. There needs to be a decorum or a rule book. And I think totally you need to come up with it because you're right. It is another vehicle on the road that you have to worry about. It's just one more thing as a driver. And I'm about to have four of them in the house in the next year. Yes, you are. They've got to worry about. And, uh, the, the funny thing about electric bikes, especially here in Houston is there's no Hills. So what's the point? Everything's flat. There's not one hill that's more than a hundred feet like tall. So you can ride a bike up that, but I get it where you're at in Orange County because there's rolling hills, there's steep hills, there's deep. I mean, so instead of, you know, the old school way of changing gears and pedaling up the hill, now you just hit, you know, fire it into electric and go, zoom, go up the hill like everybody else. But uh, we're not obese enough. We need to get an electric bike so we burn less calories. That's yeah, or burn sarcastic. just enough. Don't burn too many, just just enough. But uh, yeah, there needs to be something that uh, that goes around that. But did you, for God's sake, just wear a helmet if you're going to be going at that oh. kind of speed, though, man. Yeah, no, I'm serious. It's crazy. I mean, just even 20 miles an hour, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you you said I got to come up with a rule book. I wrote down rule book is written. The rule book is written, which is <laughs> like wear it's a helmet true. and drive in the you know flow what, of traffic you know in the called? bike lane. Nobody nobody reads this book, but you know what it's called? <laughs> Common sense. Oh, yeah, there you go. Common <laughs> sense and California bike law, I'm sure. there's yeah. that's That fits in there, too. So, you know, that's funny that you touched on the uh, the electric bike thing um, or Houston being flat. But I think that, uh, you know, in all honesty, I just feel like the rule book is written. But this topic is uh, here in California, at least not going to go away until something tragic happens. My buddy uh, has an electric skateboard and he likes to walk the dog on that thing. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't wearing a helmet one night and his uh, skateboard, he's got that little thing. He's like yeah. electric skateboard he's walking the dog. He's all good. He hit a little pebble. Dude, and he flew much. into a parked car. Dude, that pebble stopped his, and he was going, yeah, he's fine. But like, dude, I mean. What could have been? Just just be careful, folks. I guess that's the ultimate for Weddle Tuttles today. Just be careful. If you're on an electric bike, you know, follow the rules of the road, people. But I'm, Absolutely. you know, I'm hoping this topic doesn't come up again when we hear something worse. And now I feel like the the Bleacher Blums mailbag is going to be full of these uh, treacherous stories. Of, <laughs> oh, please. You know, yeah. Yeah. Back in my day, we never wore helmets and we didn't have electric bikes, oh, but we took, you know, anyway, so no. that's it. We got a Blums blast or we want to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up because you know what? Blum just realized the game's at 610 today. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm doing this podcast, having a great time. And I'm going, why am I getting all these texts about zoom calls and interviews? I'm like, man, the game's not till eight o'clock. Which sucks, by the way. I hate 8 o'clock start times. They're killing me. But I just realized this is the third game of the series against the Giants tonight, Wednesday, when we're recording this. And dude, it's a 6-10 game. That's the getaway time. So I'm looking at this, and I, yeah, I got to get off this thing and do stinking Zoom calls. And maybe, maybe even shower up this corpse for, for hey, TV. Here we go. Yeah. And it's a good thing I got my T-shirt on. But, dude, there's one thing I'm very happy about. Here's Blum's Blast. I'm glad that they have not built a TV that exudes the odor of the broadcaster because <laughs> there are moments where you do not want that. Hey, I don't think that's in the, in the cards. <laughs> I saw you on TV the other night with your yellow tie and your sport coat. I was thinking, repping Cal because of Colin Morikawa. There you go. But it was like a hundred degrees out and I'm thinking, okay, yes. they got the AC on, but you know, they do a good job of powdering you up, but I did not want the odor from that. Oh dude, uh, it's, it's a lot, trust me, it's a lot of power, especially getting these power alleys back here, like for, <laughs> to keep from shining, bro. But, yeah. uh, 
Good job on the podcast. It was great having Roland Colton on here. So I appreciate uh, you bringing him into, into the mix and having that great conversation. All you frontliners out there, all your first responders, keep plugging away. We're cheering for you. We may have to throw the scientists in on this mix and uh, encourage them a little bit. Remember, seek the virus, destroy the virus. That's all I'm asking. All right, Tuttle, what you got? Uh, that's it. Same thing. Shout out to first responders, uh, emergency personnel, even our uh, military uh, near and far. We're super happy that you're a part of us um, and keep us free and keep us safe. And um, that's really all I got. I'm really enjoying the podcast, Blummer. It was super exciting to have Roland on. He's a good friend of mine, but uh, I learned a few things today about him that I didn't even know. So, um, And I'm hoping to see him on the basketball court soon, just like I'm hoping to see you on the golf course soon, Blummer. So uh, that's all I got for this week. And uh, Let's get out of here. Yeah, let's get after it. Most of all, we got to believe it. Believe it.